You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. Guys, we're in the middle of a series, and it's called The Search. And uh, Sam has already given two brilliant messages on this theme. And tonight is The Search for Identity. And I've chosen a Bible reading from the Psalms. And as it turns out, I'm not going to necessarily speak directly on this passage verse by verse, but it does form a backdrop for the way in which God views us, okay? Because tonight's on identity. So what does God think of us? Well, that's what we're going to find out from this this reading tonight. Look at this, verse 13 of Psalm 139. You created every part of me. This is a kind of a poetic, a magnificent poetic expression of God's handiwork in the creation of human beings. You put me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because you are to be feared. Uh, probably a better word would be uh, held in awe, you know, reverence for God. All you do is strange and wonderful. I know it with all my heart. When my bones were being formed, carefully put together in my mother's womb, when I was growing there in secret, you knew that I was there. You saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me had all been recorded in your book before any of them ever began. Oh God, how difficult I find your thoughts. How many of them there are. If I counted them, they would be more than the grains of sand. And when I wake, when I awake, I'm still with you. It's a picture of dependence on God, of intimacy with God, and certainly leaving us in no doubts as to what God thinks of us. So tonight, identity. I was in India back in 1997, and I know some of you, including Scotty Mitchell, just returned from India, and numbers of you have been there. India is a place where you are daily confronted with scenes that make you really think, and in many instances leave a lasting indelible impression on you. A couple of images on this theme that really left um, a deep impression on me were the sight of women at a, at a construction site near where I was staying in a rural town. And they spent the entire day walking to and from a pile of bricks to the construction site with the bricks on their head. Now, and many of these were young women, uh, very slender, attractive women, And that was what they were doing all day. Now, you take one brick and you put it on your head and you try walking. You put two bricks, three. These women, in some cases, had eight or ten bricks on their head. They were doing it all day. The second scene that I saw many times when I was driving was the scene of, of whole family groups on the side of the road breaking rocks. And this was not just in one location. This was in locations all around rural western India where I was staying, just breaking rocks all day. And I, I inquired, what, what, what is happening here? Why are these young women being subjected to this sort of treatment? Why are these families, little kids, mum, dad, just breaking rocks all day? What have they done? Why are they doing that? And the answer I was given was, well, that's who they are. That's what they were born into. That's what their parents did. That's what all their families have done for generations. They are rock breakers. They are brick carriers. That's their, that's who they are. They didn't use the word, my, my guy didn't use the word identity, but that's what he was saying. That's, that's, that's their identity. That's what they do. It was incredibly sad. Now, we may look at something like that from the sophistication of our modern life here in Sydney and think, oh, terrible, you know. How sad, how shocking, how horrible. But what about in modern Western society? 
You think about it. The marketing industry tries to establish our identity through our purchases. And you're either a cool person with your purchases or you're not a cool person. Uh, the uh, entertainment industry tries to uh, establish our identity through beauty and glamour. We're urged to buy the products the stars buy. We're urged to live the lifestyle that's similar to the one that they live, uh, to emulate the rich and the famous. Our culture overall, when you look at the entire impact of our culture, it tries to establish our identity through performance. And so the higher your salary, the bigger your car, the larger your expense account, the more degrees you've got, the greater, the greater is one's perceived value in the eyes of some people, the greater one's perceived identity as a person. Guys, what we do may explain us, but it certainly doesn't define us. And of course, when discrimination raises its ugly head, as it does in many areas of society, uh, People are given an identity by those doing the discriminating and that identity is an imposed identity and invariably it's a belittling and a denigrating image that's put on people by the person who's doing the discrimination. I recently defied the advice of a very good friend, a friend in this church, who like me goes to the movies a lot. Uh, My wife and I go to a movie every week whether we need to or not. Uh, generally we find ourselves in the movies because see when you get to my age uh, you get $8.24-7 entry to the movies it's one of the very few advantages Lisa of growing old it's fantastic you present your little uh, uh, license there when you hit the magic age um, which I won't give you that age because you might discriminate against me um, <laughs> and there it is $8. so you just walk in and out $8 I mean how cool is that and so um, recently uh, this person who's not here tonight um, said, oh, Graham, there's one you can tick off your list. The butler. Don't go and see that. Boring as heck. Just take it off. So two weeks ago, Bev and I are faced with a daunting task on a Friday night of trying to find a decent movie. And uh, most of them looked pretty ordinary. We'd seen a good number of them. She said, what about the butler? I said, well, so-and-so said it was really bad. She said, well, you know, let's try it. Well, it turned out to be a fantastic movie. Okay, and I'll tell you why. You Gen Ys probably wouldn't get much out of it because uh, it's basically the story of a guy who served as a butler in the White House from the presidency of Dwight Eisenhower right up until just before Barack Obama. So it traces American history through all those different eras. I lived through most of those eras and I found it fascinating. Uh, this week was the, uh, was the 50th anniversary of the death of JFK. And they had a special part in that. Uh, JFK, 50 years ago. I can barely remember what I was doing. I was two. And uh, I, I can just... <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, hey, hey, no offence taken. Um, guys, one of the... But the thing that really was powerful in that movie was the... The segment they did on Martin Luther King. Look at this for a quote from one of his speeches. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the colour of their skin, but by the content of their character. He's talking about identity. He's talking about the, the identity that was given to his people through discrimination. He's trying to make a breakthrough and he did. Guys, it's so imperative that we look at identity in this, in this series uh, because it's fundamental to any chance we have, any chance we have of rising to our God-given potential.
aspiring to that which God has intended us for. If you don't get your identity right, who you are in God, in Christ. You see, our identity is not something we achieve. Essentially, it's something we receive. Just think about that for a minute. It's not something you achieve. Oh, I'm getting to the identity that, I really, that I'm really looking for. No, no, no. It's something you receive. That's our spiritual identity, our identity, the identity we have in God through Jesus. And the, the quest to understand our identity begins in the first book of the Bible, in Genesis. Look at this, Genesis 1.31, so crucial. God looked at everything he had made and he was very pleased. You get those words? He was very pleased. And why wouldn't he be pleased? The Bible says that God created us in his image. Nothing to do with physical appearance. Everything to do with our capacity to love, to dream, to give, to receive love and to give love. That's, that's what it means to be created in the image of God. And the picture of that creation scene as revealed in the Bible is one of balance and it's one of beautiful harmony. We've touched on this before, especially in the morning service. Harmony with self, the first thing. Uh, Adam and Eve, like their self-confidence levels, their their self-esteem levels would have been through the roof as they moved around the garden. They'd been chosen to be the ones, the custodians of all that God had created. They would have to boost your feelings of of self-awareness and self-confidence. You've been specially chosen. There's harmony with nature. There's no suggestion of exploitation or abuse of the environment. There's more a picture of responsible caring and, and nurture. That's the picture you get in the book of Genesis. Harmony with others, no anger, no violence. That comes later in Genesis 4 when Cain kills Abel. And there's harmony with God, a picture of intimacy, close communication. When the crunch time comes for God to call Adam and Eve to account because of their sin, they're not ushered to some grandiose heavenly palace where you have to walk through endless numbers of foyers to get to the king and the throne room. Nothing like God meets him in the garden. Like he's walking around. Hi, hi, how you doing? Hey, hey guys, haven't caught up. What's, what's going on? Oops, how come you got fig leaves on? Oops. What do you know that you didn't know yesterday? What's happening? Uh-oh, how come you can't look me in the eye? You know, it's in the garden. That's the level of intimacy that the Bible is trying to convey. But of course, there's, from these original beginnings, something went terribly wrong. Something went horribly wrong. In in simple terms, you could say there was a monumental, cosmic instance of identity theft. I think that's what happened. A cosmic, monumental incident of identity theft. One of the fastest growing crimes in the world today is identity theft. Anybody been the victim of identity theft in this auditorium? Nobody yet. Okay, you see so many stories, right? I mean, it's because of our obsession with social media, our dependence on electronic banking, electronic everything. It's very easy for the hackers to get in and to basically steal who you are. And start doing transactions in your name and start writing things on Facebook in your name. Uh, I know some of you have had a bit of hacking take place over the, over the months. And that's something I guess we all dread too on, on something like, like Facebook. Back in Genesis, it wasn't a hacker. It was something far more sinister. Let me take you back to, and this is where a, a, a hands free mic would have been really handy, but that's okay. Back to Genesis. <laughs> 
I might get uh, Toby up here with my page turner. Uh, he did such a great job with, uh, with Kieran. Okay, here we go. This is Genesis chapter 3. Listen to this. We almost need background music for this. Uh, you need to go to uh, Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ. Remember the way they, they depicted the, the devil in that movie? Have a listen to this. These are really scary words. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the snake... Should have got Michael to stay up here for the music. The snake was the most cunning animal that the Lord God had made. The snake asked the woman, did God really tell you not to eat from any tree in the garden? And in a very contrite way, she says, we may eat the fruit of any tree in the garden. The woman answered, except the tree in the middle of it. God told us not to eat the fruit of that tree or even touch it. If we do, we will die. The snake replied, that's not true. You will not die. God said that because he knows that when you eat it, you'll be like God. You'll know what is good and what is bad. This is something far worse than a hacker. This is the person. This is the description of Satan exploiting a vital part of our identity as human beings. That part is free will. And that's the part where he sort of got under. Because that's part of our identity, free will. We're not robots. We've got free will. That's the way God created us. And the real sin committed by Adam and Eve was to forget another essential element to our, our divine identity, and it's this. We are not the creator. We are the creature. Okay? We are not the creator. We are the creatures. We are designed to worship and serve our creator, not designed to worship and serve ourselves. That's biblical truth. But here's the thing. It's in that worship and submission of God that we discover our true, our true identity. There's the paradox of the Christian message. There's the real woe, the real wow factor of the Christian. It talks about submission and servitude and he's the creator, we are the creatures. But in that submission, that's where we discover our real identity. We discover life as it's meant to be lived. Look at Jesus, John 10 Verse 10, the thief, to throw back to Genesis, the thief comes only in order to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that you might have life, life in all its fullness. When Adam and Eve were banished from the garden by their own choice, free choice, by their own sin, when they were banished from the garden, it was clear their original identity had been stolen. Think about that. Their original identity had been stolen by the evil one, portrayed as a snake in that passage. No longer harmony with self. When they were banished, self-confidence was replaced by shame and embarrassment. No longer harmony with nature. This is heavy. We're not going to unpack this, but chapter 3, verse 17 of Genesis says, The ground will be under a curse. You'll have to work hard all your life to make it produce enough food for you. Like I say, we're not going to unpack that tonight, but that's a reference to the harshness of the seasons and the fact that things would not be quite the same again in the natural realm. We would need to work by the sweat of our brow. No longer harmony with each other. Here's the, here's the introduction of disunity, the introduction of bitterness, rivalry, all the things that cause relationships to break down. Chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. Okay, happens very, very quickly. Things get off the rails. No longer harmony with God, estrangement, loss of intimacy, not on the part of God. He's constant. 
But it's like that old saying, if God seems far away, guess who's moved? Like God doesn't do the moving. But Adam and Eve, by their sin, they did the moving. They're the ones who are on the journey away from the source of their identity. The story of the fall is heart-rending. It really is. We must do that as a series sometime. It's heart-rending to think that something which started so magnificently, started with such fabulous potential, within a few chapters, it's in ruins. And God's got to begin his program, his plan of redemption to bring it all back back into kilter again. And that's where the good news of Jesus comes in. Some of you have heard me say this before. Conversion is basically a return to the garden. It's like coming home. Guys, we don't fully discover who we are until we discover whose we are. That's the essential message we present here Sunday by Sunday. We don't discover who we are until we discover whose we are. It's a return to the garden. It's a return to how things are meant to be. There won't be perfection this side of heaven, but the essential elements of harmony with self, with others, with the environment, harmony with God. These essential elements are restored. At least the journey begins to full restoration once we return to the garden. It involves a rebirth. Let me close with this incident. You know, as a, as a speaker, as a preacher, you're always looking for moments of revelation, moments of inspiration. You, you look at life as a, a series of potential illustrations. And I remember a number of years ago, I was in a, visiting a hospital. And those of you who in the medical profession will identify with this, or if you visit a hospital on a regular basis, we all got into a lift. Now, interesting things happen in hospital lifts. Because on this occasion, I got in the lift and I was the only person who wasn't suffering really badly. One guy got in and he was wheeling his uh, uh, intravenous drip. Uh, Somebody else was wheeled in in a wheelchair. Uh, Somebody came in in incredible pain with some kind of arm injury and they were being comforted by their family. Uh, Another couple were just embracing, crying their their eyes out. I, I, I don't know what that was about, but, you know, you just get the sense. Okay, this is some pretty... Pretty heavy stuff happening here. And of course, nobody talks and nobody, you know, you're not supposed to talk or look or anything. In the, so everybody's just in their own silence and we start to ascend to our various floors. And I think it was about floor three and the doors open and a mum got on board with a husband and a brand new little baby. And, and they were smiling and laughing and going back to the, you know, maternity ward, whatever. Do you know that the, the presence of that little baby totally changed the dynamics of that lift as each person one by one asked their questions oh he's what's his name turned out to be a girl which was embarrassing but uh so here's a tip always say what's your name and let the parents answer and if they say robin say what's your second name (laughs) you know that's that's always it's always worked for me you know get the parents to give you the name it's better than you know it's a girl. Sorry. Okay. So everybody's asking their, their questions. How old is he? And you know what? Everybody started to just lift a little, you know, the presence of a little baby. And then it suddenly hit me. What was the common denominator in that lift? That's where we all started. That's where everybody in that lift had started as a little baby. 
And then you begin to wonder, would people have made some different choices? Would they have <laughs> made some different decisions over the years? If they'd known they're going to end up like they were, a lot of it would be not a matter of choice, of course, but you know, some of it might have been, who knows. Wouldn't it be great to go back to how it used to be? Guys, that's conversion. We can't talk about a physical birth. Nicodemus asked Jesus, what do you want me to do? Born again, what? Go back to my mother's womb? Jesus said, no, 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 but don't be silly. Can't do that. But why do we baptise? What's associated with birth? Water. Why did Jesus talk about the rebirth? Because the rebirth, the conversion, it involves going back to being a spiritual baby. Getting a chance to pretty much relive your life in that sense. At least relive the rest of your life. That's what we invite people to do every Sunday. To come back to the garden. To start afresh as a baby in Christ and to start the journey with him where you can make some different decisions and you can take a different pathway and rediscover that harmony with yourself if you're really beating up on yourself. You can discover how to make harmony with other people if that's your problem, that you just have a series of of shocking fractured relationships. Harmony with God if you're feeling really distant from him, it's all there in the conversion experience. So that's our invitation tonight. Do you want to come back to the garden to discover your real identity as a human being? Your identity is not something you achieve. Your study, your move through the corporate ranks, your uh, workouts at the gym, they'll help the Lord knows they help, but, uh, <laughs> but they won't do it for you. They won't give you your identity. Your identity is not something you achieve. Your identity in Christ is something you receive. It's something you acknowledge. You want to do that tonight? Let's bear in prayer, shall we?